Cold drop. You didn't know I was going to use that title again, did you, Weston? That was for you, all right? And so we saw in Luke 4 where the mood changed so quickly. Remember, at one minute, everybody's, yay, Jesus, you're speaking with great authority. Who is this guy? He's speaking with such wisdom and power and authority. He's the local rabbi and the local carpenter. What, what, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden, a few verses later, everything changes. And they're trying to push him off a cliff. Crazy. Crazy. And we looked, so we looked at what we, what we can learn from that. And uh, hopefully, um, if you missed that, you can check that out hopefully online uh, and catch that. But we are going to go to Luke 5 today. And so whereas Luke 4 was the going public, the debut of Jesus in his ministry, so to speak, Luke 5 is the coming out and the debut of the disciples. Uh, they start to enter the scene, and we start to see what it means to be a disciple and how Jesus called his early disciples. And, and, and in this, we're going to encounter a few guys um, that you know a lot about or you've heard a lot about probably through the years. Peter, disciple Peter, right? Peter, James, and John. Don't know if you know this, but they were all fishermen. Anybody in here like to fish? A few? Okay. Confession from your pastor. I don't fish very well because I'm not a very patient person, okay? So it doesn't, I, I, don't, I don't do it all that well. The bobber thing, you know, waiting on the bobber to go down. Of course, some people tell me, hey, there's a whole other way to fish, right? You know that, pastor. Yes, I do realize that. I lived on the coast uh, for nine years, and I know that you can get a little bit more exciting and catching some other things. And um, I actually went on a, a guided tour one time, and I love that kind of fishing. That kind of fishing was great for me because all I did was just put the line in the water and the guy did, I, I reeled it in, the guy did everything else. He cleaned the fish, cut the fish, and you get back and it's all ready for you, right? Y'all like that kind of fishing? That's the kind I like, amen? Yes. And so, um, by the way, I haven't been on one since then, so um, I, don't know what, I don't know what that means, but um, these guys were trained fishermen. These guys knew their trade. They knew their craft. They had big wooden boats. They had big nets. And they would fish when you caught fish was early in the morning on the Sea of Galilee. And so that's what they did. Uh, we have reason to believe that Peter had a pretty successful fishing business going on with several boats and probably James and John and his, and his father as well. And, and they uh, probably worked together and had a pretty successful fishing business by the, by the way that we can look in the context of what the uh, scriptures tell us. And so we happen upon this scene where they are coming in from fishing and they are washing their nets. That means they're almost done. They're done. They're packing up. They're getting ready to go home. But Jesus has other plans. Now, we need to also establish this right now. Does Jesus know these disciples and these guys at this point? Yes. They've had some interaction. Because if you just take chapter 5 isolated by itself and you just start reading it, you think... Jesus just walked up, grabbed the man's boat, and started commanding him on what to do. Well, he did do that, okay? <laughs> but he also had a relationship, somewhat small, but he already knew Peter, James, and John to a certain extent. How do we know that? You look in chapter 4, we see that Peter's um, mother-in-law is sick with a fever, and he actually goes to her home uh, where he was going to eat dinner, and he actually goes and heals her of the fever, and then she gets up and serves them the meal. So we know that there's already some kind of relationship with Peter. Uh, so I wanted you to get that context as we dive into this story. 
fishermen. They have somewhat of a relationship, but they are, there's no official relationship. They're not disciples at this point. That's where we dive in. Luke 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting in one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people in the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Then Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and we've took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so much that they began to sink. Can you imagine that scene? But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Jesus. May we encounter you today as the disciples did over 2,000 years ago. And may we respond to you today, listening to your words, heeding your words. So we ask, Lord, that we, your servants, would have listening ears, hearts willing to obey, open minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. First thing I want you to see and notice is Jesus comes to you where you are. Do you know that? Jesus comes to you where you are. These guys were out doing what they did. They were out doing their trade. They were fishermen. Who knows how many years that they had been doing it. And they probably grew up in it, right? But they were out there. They were putting their nets up. And Jesus comes to them exactly where they are, getting into one of the boats. (laughs) He proceeds to go in and, and gets into one of the boats. Why does he do this? Because the crowds are pressing in on him. And he needs a little bit of a breather and a little bit of a platform. So we call this the mobile pulpit, okay, on water. How he didn't get seasick and how they didn't either, I'm not quite sure. But he backs off. He says, hey, back off a little bit away. And that becomes his teaching pulpit, and he proceeds to teach. Probably lessons that we hear on Sermon on the Mount. Probably very similar things. And so he proceeds to teach them, and then he gets done with that. But what I want you to notice is this. Jesus comes to you and comes to me where we are. You can look at the Gospels. You can check it out. I encourage you to. Look at how many times Jesus goes and meets people where they are. Jesus doesn't sit and say, come to me. Oh, sure, we have his promises that say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Of course. But Jesus doesn't just sit at the synagogue and say, hey, come see me. Hey, come visit me. That's not the style on the outreach approach that we see Jesus take. He actually goes to them. He goes to the fishermen. He goes to the leper. He goes to the blind. He goes to the hurting. No doubt they came to him, but when Jesus was specific about reaching out, he would go out to where the people were. 
Jesus didn't just say, come see me when you can. He went to where they were. This was huge. We serve a Savior who comes to us. Do you know how significant that is? Think about that for a minute. All the world religions teach that you need to do everything you can, check all these boxes so that you can come to that deity, so-called deity. So-called. In Islam, you have tenets that you have to follow. You have to travel even to Mecca and make a pilgrimage in your lifetime if you hope to be approved by Allah. Right? These are these things that you have to do. You need to basically climb the ladder in hopes that when you're on the other side of eternity that Allah's greeting you with a pleasant face. And, and we can go through the other, Buddhism. You can look at that in Hinduism. Be good. Do good to your fellow man. And if you're, if you're, just, if you're good enough... You, you, maybe you'll, you'll reach nirvana and everything will be good and happy for you and, uh, and maybe you won't have to, I'm, I'm blending here, maybe you want to be reincarnated as a cricket, okay, when you get to, in that, that's Hindu, okay? And so, we'll try that joke again later, all right? Um, but but the, the, uh, the world religions, all of them say what? They all say, do, 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 do. You need to do this, you need to do that, you need to check this box. You know what Jesus Christ says? Done. D-O-N-E. He says it's done. It's finished. When he stretched out his arms on the cross and he breathed his last and his earthly breath, he said it is finished. You know what that means? It has been done for you. And you know what he was saying in that? He was saying, I came to you. I didn't sit and wait for you to come to me. I didn't, I didn't make you go through life and hope that you're good enough. Here's the good news of the gospel. This is why we call it good news. It's because Christ came and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth, John 1, 14. Romans 5, 6 says that when we were utterly helpless, were we all utterly helpless? Yes, absolutely. Christ came at just the right time and died for his sinners. I don't want to understate this point that Christ Jesus comes to you. This is the only deal in the world where this happens. No one else is going to offer you this deal, I, I guarantee it. You can have certainty that Christ, emptying himself of all the privileges of heaven, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, he emptied himself of the privileges of heaven, being born, wrapped in flesh, obedient to his Father, even to death on a cross, so that he might come to you and to me. And here's the beauty of the gospel, right? One of my most favorite images is in Matthew when the veil is ripped from top to bottom. The veil is ripped from top to bottom. Why is that significant? Why does that mean something to you and me? It means you and I can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. No longer does there have to be a barrier. Why? Because Jesus came to where you are. Now here's the thing about Jesus. He will come to where you are, but he is not just going to leave it that way. He is not just going to give you a high five, say, hey, how you doing? See you later. Glad you're good. Have a nice life. Secondly, Jesus challenges your experience. 
You can write that down. Jesus challenges your experience. You can be guaranteed that he will do that. And boy, did the disciples get challenged. When they had finished speaking, when he had finished speaking, he turns to Simon and he says, put out into the deep and let your nets out for a... Now, now remember, they were washing their nets. Everything's put up. Everything's put away. So can you imagine being Peter and you're hearing Jesus tell you it's time to go put out again? And by the way, it's not in the optimal time of the day. It's probably in the heat of the day at this moment. And he says, go, go throw the nets down. And what is Simon's response? Master, he's respectful. <laughs> we have toiled all night and took nothing. In other words, I don't think this is going to work, Jesus. I don't think that this is a good plan, and I certainly don't want to do it. That's, in other words, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. See, Jesus comes to us and he challenges our perceptions of God. He challenges our perceptions of ourself. And he presses us to do something about the sinfulness in our lives. He's not just going to leave you the way you are. He will come to you, but he's not going to leave you the way you are. As I've said before, Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. So when you wonder why he's challenging you and pressing in on you, it's because out of his love, he wants you to grow. Have you ever encountered a know-it-all? Anybody ever encountered one of those? Do not start tapping your spouse on the shoulder, okay? <laughs> this is not the moment we want to do that, okay? Yeah, there's know-it-alls everywhere in every field that you can ever imagine, right? Um... I have to be careful here. So um, at this point, I'll move to my next point. I, I get the impression that Peter was a, I, I get the impression Peter was kind of a know-it-all. That's kind of the impression I get. When you read, when you read the, 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 the total Gospels recording, he comes off as one who is very quick to speak, very quick to put his opinion out, and be very assertive in what he thinks the group of disciples should do. Kind of a know-it-all. So I want you to understand and get the weight of this when Jesus is pressing in on him and saying, you got to think what's going through Peter's mind at this time. Oh, really? You're, you're the fisherman? Why don't, you know, why don't you stay in your lane and I'll stay in my lane? Have you all ever seen that commercial with the tattoo artist? I don't know if you've seen this. I was almost going to show it today, but I'll describe it for you. And those who have seen it, it's pretty hilarious, okay? So AT&T has this new commercial now, and there's this guy doing a tattoo, um, and uh, the guy who's sitting in the chair says, hey, um, have you ever done this before? He said, yeah, yeah. And he, he says, man, I'm one of the tattoo artists. He said, wait, 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 you mean the best tattoo artist, right? Sure, man, yeah. And, and then he, then he, he, starts to, he starts to go on, and he said, whoa, 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 don't you think you should draw it out first and outline it? <laughs> and he looks up at the guy and says, stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane. And with all smiles, right? And I think that's what Peter was doing. I think, I think Peter so much wanted to say, stay in your lane, bro. Jesus, you do your thing. You preach to the masses, and I'm going to get the fish, okay? And we'll all be happy and well-fed at the end of the day. Stay in your lane, man. But Jesus presses and challenges our experience. Let me tell you, there's only one know-it-all. His name's Jesus Christ. 
Are you willing to listen to Jesus even when it goes against your experience and so-called conventional wisdom? Are you willing to listen to the voice of the master even when you feel like giving it up and calling it a day? I think this word is very applicable for us today and specifically to the person who wants to give up. Because I think we can all identify with Peter. We're all, we all get tired. We all get tired of doing the same thing. And, and we, we just want to tell Jesus we're tired and we don't want to do it. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You really should do it. You really should listen to me. You really should obey because I have something for you. Hear me. It's as if Jesus is saying, I know this is what you think you know. I know that you've been hurt in the past. I know that, that, that you feel like giving up and calling it a day, but put down the nets one more time. Cast out the nets one more time. Do it again. You know, a few years ago, we all go through dry seasons in life. I say, when I say dry seasons, I mean times when it feels like your prayers are, are just hitting the ceiling and bouncing back. Times when you feel like, is God listening to what's going on? Is he seeing my hurt? Is he seeing my pain? Is, what is going on? And, and we, I'll just be honest with you. We had one of those seasons back in 2012. Jody and I did. Um, our family looked a little bit different back then at that time. And we had been in Corpus for a few years and... Um, well, I'll just be honest, and we were missing a lot of you guys, and we were missing East Texas, and we're looking at each other, and I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember going on, you know, going on a date, and we're, we're crying afterwards, and we're looking at each other and talking to each other, and we realize that something is not right, um, and we're just in that dry season of time, and it was very tempting to just give up and just call it quits and maybe pack our bags or do something different. But, but at that time, we just felt God was saying, just put the nets out, keep putting them out, keep throwing it over. There's going to be a catch. I've got you here for a reason. 2012 became, I call it, the breakthrough year of our life. And I think back often, if we had if we had listened to the flesh, and it's hard to discern sometimes instead of to the Spirit. Because in, in May of 2012, we completed our fostering. We received our boys on June 2nd of 2012, and our lives changed forever. Not only that, we didn't really have a lot of close friends. We, we got to know our very close friends a week. That same week that we received our boys, we met our close friends. A few months later, we started a small group. Of, of men, and it became a small group of couples, and, and God just did amazing things out of that, and we saw incredible fruit. And at the end of that year, I told Jody, I said, what if we had just hightailed it, and we had just not stayed the course, and we didn't cast the net out again? What if we were not faithful to the master when he was telling us to do this? I think for some of you today, you need to hear that word that it's too soon to quit. And as much as you don't want to, you need to keep casting the net out and doing what Jesus tells you to and stay the course. I should also mention, 
Jody started one of the most fruitful ministries in the life of our previous church that is still bearing fruit today called Seeds Ministry for Kids and Scripture Memorization. You have uh, kids now who have been through the Seeds Ministry and they're, they're graduating seniors and they can quote 20, 30, 50 scriptures. That started all in 2012 after our dry season. So let me encourage you to lean into Jesus and what he's telling you to do. Thirdly, Jesus commands our, your obedience. He commands your obedience. This is what I love about this interaction. Peter does not want to do it. He does not want to go back on the lake. But here's what he says, and this is so huge. Please do not miss this. He says in the second part of verse 5, but at your word, I will let down my nets. I will let the nets down. At your word. See, Peter knew enough about Jesus that his words had authority. And when I say that he commands your obedience, I mean that he is worth your obedience. He commands your respects. Just like a, a five-star general walking in today, a soldier would stand and salute when, a soul, when, a, when anybody of higher authority walks into the room, that's standard protocol for military, to stand and salute. There is, Peter recognized that Jesus has authority. You remember what they said in the synagogue last week? They said that, wow, he has and speaks as if one who has authority, because he does. See, Peter recognizes Jesus' authority, and that's why he's going to do it. He's not going to do it because just the local rabbi is telling him to go put his nets out again. He's doing it because he knows that even at this point, when he doesn't even fully realize who Jesus is, he knows that there's something special and different, and his words carry weight. So he does it. At your word. We see this elsewhere, right? We see this when a centurion in Matthew 8, a Gentile, a, 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 a general or a, a somebody in the army comes and, and look at Matthew 8, verse 5. I don't think it's on the screen, but I'll read it for you. You can turn there, Matthew 8, verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my foot, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man of under authority with soldiers under me. And if I say to one, go, and he goes, and the other, come, and he comes, and my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion recognized that Jesus had authority. You and I need to realize that Jesus commands our obedience. That is why we need to put the nets out again against all that our flesh wants us to do. Lastly, you need to see that Jesus changes your purpose. This is what's so amazing. So at the end of it, they, you know what happens next. We just read it. The nets are breaking because there's so many fish. They have to bring other fellow fishermen over to help them out so that the boat won't start sinking. And they're trying to bail the fish out onto the other boats. It's crazy. I mean, it, it is one of those miraculous scenes, and it just makes you smile. But you see Peter's response. Peter responds, not jumping and high-fiving his brothers. Did you see his response? He hits his knees 
amongst the fish. And he says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm unclean. Get away from me. Basically, I am not worthy to be in the presence of someone so great with so great authority. Because you notice, his label for Jesus has now changed. At the beginning of the story, he was called Master. Now he's called Lord. That's what happens when we obey. That's what happens when Jesus shows up and shows off. Our response to him, when we truly get a vision and realize who Jesus is, that he is the perfect son of God, unblemished lamb of God, worthy, the only one worthy of our allegiance. It, we then call him by what his rightful name is. Yes, he's master, but even greater, he is Lord of all. See, Jesus changes your purpose. Jesus says, Peter, don't be afraid. You're now going to be a fisher of men. You, you, have, you have fished and you've caught fish for so long and you know that trade and you know it well, but now I am going to call you to catch men and women for the glory of God. You are going to share Jesus with them. You are going to lead people to know Jesus and to make him known. Jesus is saying to Peter, I will use your experience, your earthly experience, for my kingdom purposes. The same determination that you have, Peter, in catching fish will be even greater as you spread the good news about me and lead others to know me and to love me. See, I think we get confused many times and we think our earthly job is what we, our identifier. And while it is, right, I mean, when you meet somebody, you naturally say, hey, blah, 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 hey, what do you do? Hey, you naturally tell them what you do. Hey, I, I, I roof, I lay floors, I, I'm in construction, I, uh, I work at SFA, I'm in accounting, I'm right? a FedEx driver, all these number of things. You can pick any of them, right? I mean, those, are, those you can fill in the blank. You identify by what your profession is and your trade is, and so did Peter. He was a fisherman. And Jesus takes what his, he's identified as on earth, and he changes his purpose and says, hold on, Peter. You think that when you get up and you go out to the lake every day, that your purpose is just to fish. It's not. No, no. That's a vehicle that I will use to show my glory. Did you know that? Your profession, your job, what God has called you to do is a vehicle that God can use to display His glory and His love to others. What you do Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, is not what defines you. It's the vehicle that God uses. Your ultimate purpose is to know Jesus and to make him known. See, Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Some things? No, 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 no. Everything. When you encounter Jesus... He changes everything about you. He changes the way you talk. He changes the way you walk. He changes your, your, your atmosphere, your, your countenance. He changes everything. One of our brothers here 
has, a, uh, has an incredible story of life change. And when, when I thought about this point that Jesus changes everything and I was thinking of these disciples and how it says in verse 11 that when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I thought about the life transformation through the power of the gospel of Lee Tresner. Now, I've gotten to know Lee in the last month more than I had ever known Lee, and he shared some of his story with me, and I asked him if I could share just a minute of it with you this morning because it so illustrates the life change. Lee served bravely in Vietnam. He came back, and life became to take a downward spiral. He'll admit to you that he was hooked, he was hooked on alcohol in a bad way. So much so that it landed him in solitary confinement in the county jail for 180 days. Solitary. He was allowed to see the guard who brought him his meal and the chaplain who showed up at 10 a.m. every day. Lee first said, I don't want anything to do with it when the chaplain came. Thanks, but no thanks. And that's probably putting it kindly. Until <laughs> one day the guard said, Lee, what does it hurt to give it a shot? I mean, you can't get any worse than what you're in right now. And it's only you and the guard and the chaplain. So you're not going anywhere. You're not getting anything. Cause Lee to think. So the chaplain came the next day. He said, let's talk. Let's have a conversation. Eventually, Lee gives his life to Christ. Surrenders his life to Christ. Breaks free from the, the struggle of alcohol. And today, Lee ministers in prisons, sharing the good news, and to recovering alcoholics and others that you can be set free, and that Jesus changes everything. He's the ultimate game changer. I think Lee's story is a powerful story of gospel transformation. These disciples were never the same. And remember, before this, they're not disciples. They're just dirty fishermen. But Jesus comes and changes everything, and they left everything and followed him. You say, well, Jesus, you say, Travis, that's radical. That's what we're called to do when you follow Jesus. It's the world behind me, the cross before me. Jesus changes our purpose. And he changes everything. Let's pray. So God, as we come to this moment today, Lord, we think of this incredible interaction that you had with Peter, James, John, and others. Lord, we think of gospel transformation stories like Lee Tresner, Lord, who was running from you. was even hostile to you.
And yet, through the power of the gospel, through the good news that Jesus could save a sinner, an alcoholic, an addict, a dirty fisherman, They accept who you are and what you have done and they realize the freedom that can alone be found in Christ alone. Lord, I know that there are some today who are still in the bondage. Just behind those bars, just like Brother Lee was. Enslaved by sin, by destructive living. And today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where they say to Jesus, Let's talk. I realize that you're the Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And he will. He will. For others, you're going through the dry season. You're going through that season where you don't want to cast the nets out anymore. You want to pack up shop and go home. You feel like Jody and I felt in 2012. Can I tell you, it is too soon to quit. It's too early to give up. God desires to use you and to teach you. And He just wants your faithful obedience just to take that next step, to cast down that, to cast out the next net. And I promise you this, I promise you, hear me. From a pastor's heart today, hear me. Our God is faithful. He is not going to let you down. You may go through the valley it may be months or years, but let me tell you, hear me, that he will use and he is growing this, you in the midst of trial. And then you'll look back and you'll say, wow, look at the blessings. Look at what God did because I stayed faithful to him. some of you, 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 you've quit throwing out the nets and you've given up, so to speak. And, and it's time to cast the net out again. Jesus gently, lovingly, and firmly is calling to you today and saying, hey, get up. Get up. 
quit sitting down. Cast the net. He just wants you to say yes to him. So we're going to just have a time of a prayer, response, that maybe I may have described you today. I know I described me. Whatever the Lord is impressing upon your heart, the Holy Spirit is working as he is moving. Would you respond to him? If you want me to pray with you, I'd love to do that. The altar is open as it always is. So we're going to take this moment, so we're going to respond to God. Let's stand together.